One of the ways that God brings us to a point of dependence on the uncommon hope that he provides, the uncommon hope that Rick just told us about is by warning us about what's at stake in our fight for purity. Famously, the British steamliner, the Lusitania, was sunk by a German torpedo on May 7th, 1915, on its way to Europe. Just six days earlier, on May 1st, a bulletin from Germany ran in New York papers warning readers that ships flying the flag of Britain or her allies would be sunk. Actually, in some old clippings, the warning is adjacent to an advertisement for the itinerary of the Lusitania, where it was heading in Europe, where its stops would be. Prominent members scheduled to travel on the ship were even sent personal telegrams with the warning from the German embassy. About 1,200 people died. This ship sank in less than 20 minutes. Unheeded warnings can bring tragic consequences. Isaiah 66.1 reads, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. Thus, all these things came into being, declares the Lord. He's sovereign. He's transcendent. Yet he says, but to this one, I will look. To him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. You will not be surprised to know that tremble means to be afraid. To be scared. The Hebrew word used in that verse doesn't mean something else that we can make sound nicer. It means to be scared. It means to be frightened at the word of God. This verse tells us that the man to whom God looks or the man whom God looks toward is one who demonstrates humility and dependence on the Lord by trembling at his commands. This morning, I want to impress upon you, impress upon us that we must tremble at the word of the Lord concerning sexual sin and that such fear of the Lord is a necessary motivation for our fight for purity. Warnings against sexual sin are found in many different forms in scripture. Rick just mentioned a few. We're warned by bad examples in the narrative sections of scripture, like David and his great sin with Bathsheba. We are warned by the prophets when we hear them preaching against Israel's unfaithfulness and the sexual morality that was rampant in God's community. But this morning, I want to zero in on two areas of maybe more direct warning, simply temporal consequences and eternal consequences. Scripture tells us that there are temporal consequences for sexual sin. And it tells us that there are eternal consequences for sexual sin. I just want to look at these two areas. I want to encourage us to tremble at the temporal consequences of sexual sin and to tremble at the eternal consequences for sexual sin. Maybe no better place in Scripture that emphasizes the temporal consequences of sexual sin than Proverbs 6 and 7. Proverbs 6 and 7 lay out for us explicit warnings against sexual infidelity. You can sum up those two chapters very briefly. The warning of those two chapters is simply this. Sexual sin will destroy your life. Sexual sin will destroy your life. 
in the same way that it's good for us to be warned that fire burns, that poison will sicken, that driving the wrong way on a one-way street will bring carnage, it is good for us to be warned of the devastation that can result from living like a fool in the area of our sexuality. Proverbs 6, 27 and 29 tell us that sexual morality brings certain punishment. Certain punishment. The writer says, can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is the one who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. Wisdom says sexual morality will bring punishment. In that same section, the writer also says that sexual morality, when you're dealing in those means, you're dealing with the highest stakes. Proverbs 6.32, the one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense, he says. He who would destroy himself does it. Destruction. It, it, the picture is taking your life in your hands and destroying your life by going into your neighbor's wife, by committing adultery. That's the, the context of Proverbs 6.32. Proverbs 7, verse 22. Similarly. Now therefore, actually further on, 24. Now therefore, my sons, listen to me and pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. That is the adulteress, the, the seductress. Do not stray into her paths, for many are the victims she has cast down, and numerous are all her slain. Her house is the way to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. Certain destruction, the highest stakes, sexual morality brings death. Temporal consequences are what's in view in these wisdom passages. The path, foolishness, which leads to destruction, or wisdom, which leads to life. And passages such as these remind our deceitful hearts of the significant cost of what, what amounts to temporary illicit pleasure, right? I want to ask here, we read these, just what about pornography or my thought life? Masturbation, self-gratification. Solomon graphically portrays what happens to a man who has an affair, or commits adultery? How does that apply to us as we think? Maybe, maybe you're not about to commit adultery. Maybe you're not about to go to a brothel. Do these verses and the temporal consequences apply to the sin of self-gratification? Well, even if we grant that porn usage and impure thoughts likely won't bring the fury of a woman scorned husband against us, and sure, we can acknowledge that there's a difference between going to an actual prostitute and clicking a link the patterns of the heart that are established are exactly the same. They're exactly the same. Notice Solomon doesn't say, don't let your body turn aside to her ways. Don't let your flesh long for her ways. He says, don't let your heart turn aside to the ways of the evil woman. And if you read those Proverbs informed by Christ's words about lust in the heart, then it's easy to see they do apply directly. You should fear the temporal consequences that God's word tell us accompany sexual sin? Do you fear the pain 
the lasting trouble, the ruin of infidelity, immorality, fornication. God's word says we should be terrified because those who follow that path take their lives into their own hands and the end is destruction. The warning of Proverbs 6 and 7, the warning against the temporal consequences of sexual sin is clear. Brothers, sexual sin will destroy your life. And yet, as terrifying as the thought of the consequences in this life are, ruin, scorned lovers, the squandering of your wealth, your resources, your energy, all the things that the writer of the Proverbs helps us to see how devastating those consequences are. As bad as those sound, the stakes are even higher for the life to come. We must tremble at the eternal consequences of sexual sin. I'm gonna read several passages. Don't try to turn there. Just jot down the references. Don't get lost. Just listen. Let the concentrated weightiness of these texts come to bear on your mind and heart as we continue with our morning. Matthew 5, 27 through 29. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. We rightly focus on this text to justify taking serious steps in the fight against sin. Radical measures, we say. But without recognizing the the stakes, the sharpness of Christ's words become dull. Why do we are we to, to carry out radical measures like amputation and plucking out an eye? Well, not simply so that you stop doing whatever that particular body part was actually tempting you to do. It's so that you don't go to hell. It's not simply to cut off the point of temptation so that you stop doing the action. Jesus says your eternal life is at stake. That's why radical measures are necessary. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. The first on that list are all related in in this realm of sexual sin. Paul says it's things like these of which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who practice immorality, impurity, sensuality will not inherit the kingdom of God. Just a little bit later, he says this in Galatians 6, verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption but the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. You cannot sow to the flesh and reap spiritual fruit. You cannot habitually practice sexual sin and expect to grow spiritually. 
Do not be deceived. Don't buy the lie that there aren't consequences. You can come up with examples of individuals that you know who seem to be sexually indulgent. They're examples against the warnings of Paul, against the warnings of Christ, against the warning of Solomon. They don't seem to be experiencing the consequences that we're talking about today. But Paul says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Just as a brief reminder, who was Paul writing to when he wrote to the Galatians? The church. Who was Paul writing to when he wrote those words that I just read? The church, right? These warnings are for us. These warnings were given to a body, certainly some that had unbelievers mixed in, which is why the warnings come, but to Christians. Christians, we desperately need to be warned. It's what keeps us close to Christ. Hebrews 13, four, marriage is to be held in honor among all and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. Why? What's the motivation? Well, for fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. 1 Thessalonians 4. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual morality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion, like the Gentiles who do not know God. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Those last two references here, God is judge, he is an avenger. And to reject those warnings is to reject not simply man's instruction, but God's. Note the common themes in these verses. Deception. We're warned against being deceived in this particular arena, right? The deception is that we can have what our flesh wants without consequence. So Paul says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Don't be deceived. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The warning against deception implies what? That we can be deceived in this arena, right? Don't buy the lie of the flesh. Don't buy the lie of the world. This says, God is not mocked. You will reap what you sow. Those who sow to the flesh perpetually in this arena will not inherit the kingdom of God. Note also the repetition from the writers. Listen to how Paul says to right, the Galatians. This wasn't the first time they had heard this. He says, I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you. What did he say to the Thessalonians, right? 
He said, just as we told you before and solemnly warned you. And now he's saying it again. That's so instructive for us. Paul told believers, right? That they need to be reminded of these things. We're forgetful and there's urgency in these two examples from, from the writer, from the apostle Paul. And he had no qualms about reminding those who had been radically converted in his ministry, right? He had no qualms about telling them about the consequences of sexual sin so that they would tremble. We need to warn one another in the same way. We need to remind one another. Notice also, that these verses tell us that God is the judge and avenger in these matters. Again, Paul told believers that God would avenge those who are defrauded by another sexual sin. He told believers that the marriage bed is to be undefiled because God is the one who will judge fornication and immorality. And of course, all of these verses tell us of the eternal consequences of sexual sin. Scripture is clear. The sexually immoral, the fornicators, the adulterers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Unbroken patterns of sin with no repentance should give your spirit great unrest when you hear these warnings. You should have no peace about your spiritual condition in the midst of unbroken, unchanging patterns of sexual sin when you hear these warnings. The writers of scripture dealt with real flesh and blood sinners like you and me. And they wrote of a very real gospel that is the solution to that sin, but they never ever make it seem like that a life of unchecked sin was something that we, should, we could be okay with. That does not accord with scripture. And the warnings that are given to the churches of the severity of sexual sin are instructive to us and how we should think about these things. Again, Isaiah 66. This is the one to whom I will look, right? To him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. The word we're to tremble at says that sexual sin can destroy your life. The word we're to tremble at says that those who embrace a pattern of unrepentant sexual sin will not spend eternity with God. And the word we're to tremble at is that radical measures are necessary because the consequences for failing in these arenas are serious. The stakes couldn't be higher. So end by asking, will we, will you, will we tremble at God's word as we think about the matter of sexual purity and living with sexual integrity? Let's pray. Father, we need your grace both to hear the warnings, to be contrite and lowly in our prideful spirits as we think about these things and as we're confronted with our own weakness and to yield to your word because we are fearful. It is your goodness that warns us and you use such warnings to draw your children closer to you in dependence and humility. Help us to go from here today with that frame of mind. 
In Christ's name I pray, amen.